Hi, I'm Pam Dunn, and for the next 10 minutes or so, join me in a conversation that will provide practical ways to access your inner wisdom. Since being wise means you will act and behave based upon your knowledge, what you know, it means when we know better, we can do better. There is immense wisdom in listening and learning from others. So what you hear today will provide infinite possibilities and opportunities for practice. Hello, everybody. This is Pam Dunn with 10 Minutes of Infinite Wisdom. And I am back again with our special guest, Matthew King. Remember last podcast, we talked about the wisdom of meeting your needs. Well, I wanted to do two parts because first off, he has a ton of wisdom. Secondly, now we're going to talk about the wisdom of meeting your child's needs. So for those of you that may not have listened to the other podcast, you'll want to go back and do that. But Matthew is a teacher. He's, a, he's been a teacher for over 15 years. He is also a certified coach with Your Infinite Life. So be sure to check him out on the website. And he's an advocate for children who experience trauma. And he'll tell you more about that. So Matthew, thanks for coming. And let's start us off with how do you or how did you come to the wisdom of meeting your child's needs? Yeah, I think for me, this started when I um, when I took my uh, initial, they call them foundations classes out here in Oregon to, to, be, to be certified initially to become a foster parent. And one of the classes that you have to take is on the attachment cycle, right? How children form stable attachments with their parents. And, you know, whether you've studied it theoretically or not, any parent would be familiar with the cycle, right? I mean, infant has a need, infant signals that need by crying, attentive and sensitive parents interprets, figures out what the need is, meets the need, infant relaxes and feels pleasure and all sorts of good, loving feelings flowing back and forth between infant and parent, and then the whole cycle starts again the next time the infant has a need. And I remember sitting with, uh, you know, visiting with a, a friend of mine who's a therapist early in my parenting journey, and we were talking about that, and, and, you know, she made the comment, how many thousands of times does a parent do that with a child over the course of the child's upbringing? And it looks different when the child is five or eight or 10 or 14 than when they're an infant, but the, 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 the cycle um, is the same. And so, um, you know, my child, as I said last time, he was 11 when he came into my life. And we often think of 11 years old, pre-adolescents, pre-teens, tweens, whatever, whatever you want to call them, you know, as having a lot of verbal skills and being able to verbalize their needs. But I think if we dig closer, we all sometimes have varying abilities to identify and articulate our needs. And I, I think kind of learning that theoretically when I was studying to become a foster parent, I think probably made me extra attentive to the ways in which behavior is really communication of needs, right? Mm-hmm. If, if we can't identify and articulate a need, um, if we can't use our words to identify and articulate it, if we, if we don't have the tools to make sense of our inner world and to do that, we're going to act it out. And behaviors that we tend to see as problematic, right, in the adult world <laughs> um, are typically typically the expressions of unmet needs, right? And intense needs equals intense behaviors. Um, and yeah, and my child, 
had some and still still has some intense behaviors, but learning to learning to not react to those behaviors in the way I've, you know, a lot of people, me included early in my life have been culturally programmed to respond to them as bad choice punishment. You know, (laughs) you could do better and you're choosing not to, um, but really learning to look at them and no matter how intense they are and say, okay, what's the underlying need here and how can we work together to address that need? And then how can parent and child working together, how can that also be part of helping the child learn to strive for greater independence in identifying and meeting those needs for themselves as, as they transition into adulthood? Um, so that's, that's kind of the basic framework. I, it's such good framework. Question. When you address the need based upon the behavior, because someone's going to think this, do you excuse the behavior because of that? Or do you also address the behavior? No, we definitely address the behavior. <laughs> um, and the way I actually address the behavior, and, and a lot of this is stuff that I learned from if you uh, dip into Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication, and then if you, I mean, dip into your infinite life, you'll find the the, the, the same type of, of stuff in, in a lot of the coaching stuff that we, we've gone through. And the way that, that we do it is uh, I make reference to my needs. I mean, let's say we've got a hypothetical. Let's say you've got a teenager who is, you know, sneaking out of the house and taking the car for joy rides or whatever. That behavior, as hard as it might be for some people to to make this shift, that behavior is the expression of some unmet need somewhere. That doesn't mean any parent should be okay <laughs> with a <Right>. child <laughs> doing that. Everyone's relieved now. <laughs> right, exactly. All sorts of, I mean, any parent would have many, you know, have many legitimate issues with that happening. But I think, I, I, I think the way to go about, I think the way to go about addressing that is um, if you've modeled for your child that their needs matter, they're going to be much open to being able to recognize and take into consideration that your needs matter too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're able to say, I have a need for you to be safe, you know, I have a need for peace in the house. I have a need for a life to be predictable. I have a need to feel like I am doing my job as a parent. Um, that's an easier conversation to have. I think also too, in that situation, I would just make sure I hide the keys to my car, but... <laughs> There are those things. Yeah, or context <laughs> things. Um, but I think if you do a good job of, of modeling that, of identifying the feelings, that made me feel frightened. It made me feel angry. made me feel, and deep down underneath the feelings, well, what are the needs that are producing those feelings? If you do a good job modeling that, and then modeling for your child that their needs matter, that everybody's needs matter in a situation, that collaborative form of resolving a conflict can be extremely, extremely successful. And it does, I think, feel a little soft or gushy or sentimental to some people sometimes, but it's not because the adult concern is on the table, right? You're not, you're never being asked as the adult to compromise what your concern is. If you have a valid concern, that's on the table. You know what I mean? And you don't have to compromise. You don't have to compromise it. Um, What you need your child to do is find some way to meet their own need or to ask for help meeting their need in a way that addresses their concern, meets the underlying need, 
but also addresses your concern, right? Also takes your concern into consideration. Um, so the boundaries are still there. They're just not communicated necessarily in uh, really punitive language. Right, or controlling even. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I love the whole intense behavior equals intense needs because I, I, I think that, you know, when we as parents or teachers feel out of control or not sure how to address, you know, something that is really intense that's happening, we really just focus on how to, con- we try to control it. Yeah. You know, I think that's natural. And, and what you're saying is, no, let's not try and control it, but let's take charge of what's really going on, where the cause is. Yeah. And, and I would imagine that it makes for some rich discussions between you and your child. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's a way of resolving problems or conflict in a way that deep down strengthens the relationship. There's not a relational cost to it. Whereas coercion, harsh, punitive language, it might be successful in the moment, especially when your children is when your children are really young, right? <laughs> and you are much bigger than them physically. Yeah, you have the ability to control their behavior to a much greater degree than you will when they're older. But there's a cost. There's a relational cost down the road somewhere to to doing it that way, to that that uh, harsh and punitive style of doing it. Whereas this is a way that I've found, and especially, I mean, my child has his share of what we call defiant behavior, right? He, he likes to express his need for independence in very emphatic ways, I guess is, is a good way of saying it. Um, and, um, you know, he will be able to sniff out anything that feels any type of language, any type of even body language that feels coercive to him, controlling or punitive he will dig in and say, nope, I'm going to show you who's actually boss here. Um, And very often he's right, you know, and that's, I've seen that be so frustrating for so many teachers and counselors and professionals who, you know, work with kids who have, who have these kind of defiant, defiant looking behaviors um, is often we don't have the control that we think we do. We don't have the control that we're trying to assert. But what we do have is a tremendous amount of influence. And what we do have is the ability to communicate our concerns in a way that, you know, will actually model for the child the thought process that they can use to identify their own feelings, understand their own feelings, identify the needs under them, and then actually move past the resolution in a way that feels good for everybody. So it seems like typically you look at and maybe have discussions around what is the unmet need when the behavior is not okay. Yeah, absolutely. And for, uh, you know, a child, especially when my son was younger, um, you know, he's 16 now, so he's pretty, and we've had a lot of these discussions. So he's grown a lot in his ability to identify his own needs, but especially when a child is younger, it's okay to do the guess and check method. I mean, we always start with a feeling, Right. What are you feeling right now? And then, you know, the idea that underneath the feeling, there's some need. If it's a negative feeling, there's some need that's not being met. So I might do some guessing and checking with a young child. I, you know, I might say, okay, you're screaming, you're angry. Are you hungry or are you, you know, are you needing food or are you needing a calm space? 
right? I mean, are you hungry or are you overstimulated? What would feel better, right? And you can kind of do a guess and check. Hungry, calm space, or do you need something else, right? And through that kind of guess and check, multiple choice, you can really help, you know, you can, that's really helpful for children who might not yet have the language to really fit their intense inner experience. That's so great. So, you know, just in summary, it's really that a behavior is a way of communicating an unmet need, especially if it's behavior that is not acceptable and intense behavior equals intense needs. So, start looking there. And I love that concept of guess and check. You know, that's the way to start the discussion. And then, you know, I think I want to end it with saying, tying it into the first one, that I would imagine for you that to look at things from this perspective and meeting your child's needs, there's also oftentimes when you get to meet your own needs in your own communication. Yeah. Yeah. This was so amazing, Matthew. Thank you. And I, I want to tell everybody that Matthew is a coach. And so if you want some support with, with your communication or with your children around this, be sure to check him out and you can find him on our website. And we'll connect you with him. So thank you once again, Matthew. It has been my pleasure, Pam. Thank you so much. But. Accessing our inner wisdom is ongoing and ever-changing. You may now be thinking, how can I access more of my infinite wisdom? Well, we have lots of ways to do that. So go to www.yourinfinitelifeonline.com and consider taking two hours and attend our skilled communication online class. Each class is only $99 and is limited to five participants so that you can get individual attention to become a better communicator. We have a Learning Journey membership program for only $29 per month and five collaboratives throughout the year that bring experts together on various topics. Thanks for joining us. And if you've benefited from this podcast, please subscribe, like, and or comment. Find out more about our coaching and offerings also at www.yourinfinitelifeonline.com. Have a great week accessing your inner wisdom.